Father, we come to you today, and Lord, we're excited about what you have for us. I thank you, God, that uh, we can come before you with singing and, and praise, Lord, and, and focus our hearts on you and looking towards you. And I pray that as we open up your word, that you would meet every one of us where we're at. God, I thank you that as we're gonna read today, you never change. You're the same. And we know that you're always there. We sang it in a couple songs that you're reliable, you're faithful, you're there. And God, I ask that we wouldn't just sing that, we wouldn't just read that, but Lord, we would believe that in our hearts. And we would know no matter what we're going through, no matter what's happening in our lives, that we would know and understand our God is there. So bless this time and and open up our hearts to receive what you have for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. James's motive, I believe, for writing, his whole purpose is to challenge us to become mature Christians, to grow up to put on big boy pants and to do what we're called to do. God accomplishes that through trials and testing. We don't like those, it's not something we would ask for, but that's how God is going to mature us. That's how he's going to get us into the place where we need to be as believers and he cares for us, but so often, We look at the trials and the testings as as something from the enemy or we get all uptight or even sometimes, as we're gonna read today, we take the trial and make it a temptation and we blow it big time. Now there are a lot of us, if if God asks us, do you want a trial? We're gonna, no way, right? But think about your children and I don't know how all of you raise your children. I see how some people raise their children. I'd like to help them. But when you think about your children, if you're always picking up after them, if you're always protecting them, if you never let them experience life, when they become adults, they have a really difficult time functioning in this world. Like, you know, I'm amazed today when I go to some homes and they baby-proof homes. And they almost put their entire home in bubble wrap for their kid. They didn't have that stuff when I was growing up. Like, how did you learn not to put something in the, in the electrical outlet? You did it once. Then you didn't do it anymore. You learn. Now, I'm not advocating that you take your kids home and say, here, sweetheart, stick that in there, see what happens. And I get, I get protection, but sometimes we overprotect. And then they don't grow. But if we're honest, we want God to protect us. We don't want anything to come our way. And here's what we need to realize. Father knows best. He knows. And he's not doing what he's doing because he's a mean, angry, mad God. He's doing what he's doing because he loves us. If you raise your children and you watch them fail at something, it kills you. But you know that that's going to change them and mold them and shape them. And it's the same with our Heavenly Father. So James is letting us know trials, tests, they come from God. Now we're going to see today there's a difference between trials and tests and temptation. And we'll put that together. But look how we left off with verse 8. Look at what he says in verse 9. 
He says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with its burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Now, I want to make something clear. James here is not saying it's great to be poor and it's evil to be rich. Because there are people who, you know, mess that up. And it seems like, it seems like in Christianity, in, in, in our church world, our culture, there are two sides and nobody meets in the middle. There are those who say you need to be poor, you can't have anything, you know, any kind of, any kind of material possession and wealth is ugly. And then on the other side, there are those who say you need to be healthy and wealthy and get everything. Both of those extremes are bad. So James is not advocating either one, but here's what he's saying. Let the poor man, let him glory, did you pick up on that? Glory in his exaltation. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, you might be poor materially, but you're rich in Christ. And material things aren't what makes us, it's Jesus who makes us. It's our relationship with him and glory in the fact that you know him, that there's that exaltation in your life. So once again, he's not saying you need to go around and go, oh, I'm so glad I'm poor. I'm so glad I have nothing. I'm so glad I can't pay my bills. I'm so glad. He's saying, hey, you need to understand that it doesn't matter where you're at on this social scale or material scale as long as you have Jesus. So he says the opposite to the rich guy. He says, let him glory in his humiliation. In other words, here's, here's the thing. I think, I think people who are better off materially have a harder time in a relationship with the Lord. Because hey, those of us who are better off materially, we're gonna depend on what we have. And we don't depend on the Lord as much. And the person who doesn't have depends on him more because they don't have. And so we need to realize, you know, hey, man, maybe we're doing really well and we're, and we're better off, but you know what? All of that, all of that can fade away. He says, man, it can be gone in an instant. Now, we haven't experienced a huge crash like, like in the 20s when they had, a, you know, the depression and the stock market and everybody lost everything, but there's been a few times where people have lost a lot, and it's scary because you know what? Your money, man, your money does not bring you security although you may think it does. It's not secure. And I love the illustration he uses. Hey, we go to Israel when we do our trips to Israel. We go to Israel during, uh, my iPad just went nuts. We go to Israel during, uh, during the month of March because it's pretty. It's just rained, it's, it's springtime, and it's, it's, you know, the flowers are out, and it's a beautiful time to go. And June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January, February, yuck. It's like, it's like brown. It's sort of like here, I crack up when people move here. I love it when people move here in August. They go, it's so beautiful and green, and I'm thinking, you are so deceived. Wait a month. And it turns brown, right? And we live with brown most of the time. And here's what he's saying, man. You cannot depend on material things 
for your well-being. They go up and down, up and down. It changes depending on where it's at. And so he's letting them know. He brings up right away in the beginning, talking about trials. What does he bring up? Material things. Why? I would say most of the marriage counseling we do is around money. Money, something happens to us economically and something comes in and it starts that stress and that, that difficulty and, and, and marriages begin arguing and fighting and coming that way. And so what does he start with? He starts with that and he lets us know, hey, those things, whether you're poor, whether you're high or whether you're low, doesn't matter. What matters is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he says this, verse 12 blessed or, or you know, the, the man is satisfied, we could say, is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who are perfect. It's not what it says, is it? But a lot of us live our lives that way. What is this saying? He's, he's promised to those who what? Love him. And we try and come across with this some kind of some kind of spiritual perfection, and and you know we think that if we do this, it makes us spiritual. You know what makes you spiritual? The blood of Jesus Christ, and you're loving Him. And and hey, don't don't put all of these things. But here's what also what He lets us know: as a believer, you're going to go through trials. Now, once again. James uses the word temptation, or the translators, I should say. There's one Greek word for test and trial and temptation. It's the same word. You can only tell what it is by its context. Testing and trials are one thing. Temptation is to entice to do evil. That doesn't come from God. So sometimes when we read this, we have to interpret it in our own minds. And I look at verse 12 as, as saying, blessed is the man who endures trials for when he has been proved. I think approved is a bad, is a, is a bad translation. It should say proved. Like when, when, they, when you build a bridge, you gotta test it and prove it that it's going to do okay. Or how about this, airplanes. Do you think they put a plane together and go, good luck? Hope it works. No, they test it, right? They prove it. They test it to prove that it's good. And here's what he's telling you and I. When we go through those trials, we're tested. We're proven for who we are. And when we endure those and we go to the end, we get the crown of life that God has for those who love him. Now, I, I, I gotta be honest. I read page after page after page on what the crown of life is. And it kind of cracks me up sometimes. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in, in, in stuff that it's like, you miss what he's talking about. Hey, if you endure the trial, it's gonna prove who you are. Not to God, God's not worried about you. You, you need to know that. God's not like up in heaven. Man, I hope they make it. I'm just rooting for him. But we need to know. We need to know. As we go through trials, it makes us stronger. Even as I was thinking of some of the songs we're singing, and you know, we're singing words, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, I have an advantage because I know what's coming in the message. And sometimes I think, oh, do we really mean that? Do we really mean those words? 
And, 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 you know, James here is letting us know, and the Lord is letting us know, trials that come our way, they prove us. And they make us who we are. And then that crown, I don't care, you know, you can, you can do all the crown of life and the crown of martyrdom and all the crowns, and you can try and build up your crowns and, and whatever. I just want to love Jesus. And a crown of life to me is just, a, hey, it's a reward at the end. Who cares which one it is? or whether it's a jewel in it, or whether it's whatever. You know, I'm just thinking, stop, and know that here's the thing, man, you make it to the end. And God has reserved that for those who love him. What a great God, huh? Now, now James is gonna get to the nitty gritty, because here's the problem. Just like our children, we're children of God. And we whine and moan and groan and we go through life, and we don't like some of the things that come our way. Here's what I know, we're all experiencing trial because as, as Pastor Rob said, you're breathing. And just like the people that James was writing to, they're just people doing life. And there's hard things that come. Remember, remember who we said they were? They were people who were, who were ostracized by their community. They were people who were uh, come against by their religion. And there are people who the Gentiles just really don't like, so they're struggling with life. And some of us are probably struggling to the same degrees, and some of us are in places where we never thought we would be and never thought that that would happen. So here's what he says, man. There's something promised to those who love him. Do you believe him or not? Now listen to what one writer said about those who love him, because I think this is a good, this is kind of a good test. If a man in his supposed love to God has no ultimate regard except his own happiness, if he delights in God not for what, what he is, but for what he is to him, in such a sentiment there's no moral value. There is indeed great love of self, but no true love to God. And I think that's a test, because we can say we love God till the test comes, till the trial comes. And then we generally, well, we do what verse 13 says. Let no one say when he is tempted, now we're shifting a little bit, when we're enticed to do evil, let no one say, I am tempted or enticed by God, for God himself cannot be enticed to do evil, tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But here's what happens. We go through it and all of a sudden, we're mad at God. Why did you do this to me? And we're acting like something horrible has happened to us. I believe, once again, God does those things to, to mature us, to grow us up, and to change us. And he does not, listen, he does not entice to do evil. But in that trial comes the temptation to do evil, to turn against God, to get angry with God. And that's the enemy of our souls. That's the one who wants to destroy a relationship. Our, our, listen, this whole thing called Christianity is about a relationship with the living God and a relationship with, with the one who died for us. And, and so, hey, you cannot say when you're tempted that God is tempting me. God, God is not enticed by evil, nor would a good God ever, ever want us to do evil. He puts it in front of us so we'll do good and the devil comes along and ruins it and takes us down a path where we shouldn't go. So he continues that whole thought. Listen, he says, but each one, 
In verse 14, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Here's what he's saying, man. Hey, oftentimes, remember when, remember, remember back in the day, the devil made me do it. Dudes, we have enough in us to do evil. The devil doesn't have to come. James is letting us know that it's inside of us and it's a desire. Now, I believe, I believe there's desires in us that are good desires that can be corrupted by the flesh and corrupted by the enemy of our souls. And, and, and hey, just think about, let's think about it. Let's go all the way back to the beginning when God created and he created everything. I think he created everything in six days. I believe the Bible. I believe it was six literal days. I believe it was, you know, 7,000 years ago. I'm not an old earth guy. I believe all that. And I know all the arguments and, and you know, and I know all the things that people say, well, if it was that long ago, how can a star that's, you know, uh, you know thousands of light years away shine now? And how do we see it? And yada, yada, yada. I, I believe God created a mature universe. Just like I believe he, do you, do you think, you think when he created Adam, he stuck a baby in the garden, said, good luck, hope you make it, there's no parents. <laughs> Don't you think he created a mature person? He had to. There's no one to raise a baby. So I think he created a mature planet. I think he created a mature universe, but I'm, I'm getting off topic. So when God created, put man and woman in the garden and they had it made. God, listen carefully, God set them up for success. He gave them everything they needed, he put everything in front of them, and all they had to do is trust him. That's it. And there was one object around which they could demonstrate their trust. It was a tree, had some fruit on it. I don't know what kind of fruit. Everybody wants to say, imagine the best fruit you ever had. And, and, you know, do you really think that God set them up with something that was so enticing that they couldn't keep their eyes on it? Come on, that's not the God of the Bible. It was probably the worst fruit you've ever ate. But God, here's all God said. Do not eat from that tree. Enjoy life. There's a test. There's a trial, Right? Just like for some of us, he puts a test, he puts a trial in our life. And then along comes Satan and he begins to entice the woman to do evil. You see, God gave them something good, Satan made it something bad. And here's what he says. Do you really think that God loves you? He doesn't love you. If he loved you, he'd let you eat from this. Doesn't that go along just what we read? Hey, don't blame God, right? When you're tempted, don't say it's God tempting me or you're drawn away. And when desire is conceived, now here's her desire. She had a desire for that fruit. For whatever reason, she had a desire for that tree. Now, we need to act on those desires and we need to act against them. But she went for it. We all know she fell, then Adam fell, and we're all in trouble. But for you and I, the same thing happens, man. Hey, we have, we have, we have desires. that Some of them are good desires. I think of eating, drinking, Sleeping, sexual 
sexuality in our lives. All of those are good. God gave us those. But then they become corrupt. You can, hey, some of you Thursday are going to sin <laughs> by eating way too much. <laughs> eating is good, but you can blow it by eating, right? I hope I ruined it for you. You can blow it by eating too much. Drinking is good, but you can corrupt that. Sleeping is good, but you can become lazy. The fact that God gave man and woman this act of sexuality is a great thing within the bonds of marriage, period. And then it becomes corrupt outside of that and messed up. But here's the thing, man. Desires, they seem good, and the devil comes along, and he seems to want to make it a little bit better. And what does he say, man, when desire conceived sin? Sin will never, ever, ever make your life better. Ever. Ever. Oh, hey, if sin didn't seem pleasurable and if it wasn't pleasurable for a season, we wouldn't do it. But it's that enticement. It's that drawing in. Now, that's not from God. See, we need to understand that. That's the enemy. God allows those things to come in our life, and then the enemy corrupts them, and then he tells us, man, when, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, man. I think, I just think of this whole process, and then when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. You don't sin accidentally. It's always a process. And in that process, we should be able to stop it. I, I bring up one book I read when I was a new Christian, and you know, parts of that book just still stick in my, in my heart and in my life. It was such a good book. It's written by George Verwer, and uh, I think it's out of print now. It's called No Turning Back. And uh, last night I couldn't remember the title, everybody got mad. But it's, it's No Turning Back if you find it someplace. But man, you talk about a book that was powerful, and you know, there's a chapter one on doubt that's really good, and, and then the one chapter on, on, on uh, desiring and watching our, our hearts. Here's what he said, I'll never forget this, and, and I still try and practice this to this day. He said, hey, put a searchlight on your head. No, not literally, right? And what does a searchlight do? It goes around, beep, goes around, beep. And he says, when that desire or that temptation comes in, because we can't stop the stuff that comes in. So, I mean, some of it we can, but hey, it comes at us. That's not sin. It's what you do with it. And I loved it. He goes, put your searchlight on, and when it comes in, just let it go around once, and when it beeps, kick that out. And every time, so hey, you get a thing, and, you get, and all you have to do is go, beep, and it's gone. And you work on that. You see, but here's the thing, man. We stop and we think about it. And we start, we start playing with it. I like to put it this way, too. If you've been around a long time, you know that. It's like we think we can control it. And we put it over here like we want to control a dog. Sit. Stay. I'll just pet you. But you're not coming in. Oh, it's coming in. You can't get, hey, don't play with it. So here's what he's saying, man. He's letting us know exactly what happens. And look at verse 16. I love verse 16 because it goes, it's one of those two-way verses. Verse 16 says, do not be deceived, my brethren. Now he's just talked about, he's just talked about don't blame God because God doesn't entice us to sin. You're enticed by your own desires. And when desire gives way, conceived, it's, it gives way to sin and sin then bursts out death. Do not be deceived. Don't think, hey, don't think you're the one person 
who can withstand it all. You're not. You're not going to make it. Don't deceive yourself. And I love that. And then it also, but it also, verse 16 points down. In, ver, in the middle of verse 16, I put an arrow. Do you ever mark up your Bible? It's okay if you do that. When I was first saved, I thought it was evil. My wife would mark up her Bible. I'd say, stop that. You can't do that to your Bible. And she says, why not? I said, because it's the word of God. So then she started reaching over and marking up my Bible. No, she didn't. <laughs> but then I got into place, and then, uh, you know, I'm kind of that guy. I go to the extreme. Then I, when I finally underlined something the first time, now I underline everything. Like 90% of my Bible's underlined. And someone looked at once and go, why did you underline all of it? Well, I was reading this that day, and it spoke to me, and then I was reading this. And so, but I have a little arrow in the middle of verse 16 that points up and down. Because 16 applies to both. Don't be deceived about your own desires and etc. Don't blame God. But also, don't be deceived. And here goes with some of the songs we were singing today. Listen, do not be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lies with whom? there is no variations or shadow of turning. Listen to what he says. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Don't be deceived. Don't be thinking God wants you to do evil and God wants to trip you up and God wants to ruin your life. Every good, I love that, man. Good and perfect gifts come from my God. And when you're going through that trial, can you stop for a moment and understand that you have a good God that's given you a good thing. I know it doesn't feel good. Hey, I'm not minimizing what you're going through. I know that. But you have a good God. And don't let the devil get in there and mess things up, or even greater than that, your own heart, and mess things up. Trust him. Trust him, and he gives us Good gifts. Why? Because he's a good God. He can't give anything else. And they're perfect gifts. And then I love this whole idea, the father of lights. We sang that song, right? When I cry out in the darkness, your mercy comes in the darkness. And when his mercy comes, you know what you get? <clears throat> Illumination. We can't figure things out and we try on our own or maybe we throw money at it or whatever happens and it's a mess and then we cry out to God and poof, illumination and all of a sudden you go, wow, why didn't I see that? And God echoes back because you didn't ask me. No, he doesn't say that, but it feels that way, doesn't it? And here's what he's saying, man, you need to know he's the father of lights. And I think of that and I think of tonight, tonight just for, just for, just to be blessed, Go out in your backyard and look up. He's the father of all those lights. He put each one there. He knows them. And we try and name them, he's already got them named. They're his, and that's our God. Here's what he's saying. Look at that and tell me that he doesn't care. Tell me that he doesn't love us. And then he says with him, there's no variance. There's no shadow of, of turning. God doesn't change. The stock market's gonna change. Banks are gonna change. Currency's gonna change. No matter what, you know, people go, oh, mine's safe. Well, good for you. It's gonna change. All of that stuff goes up and down. What's the one thing that never changes? God and his word. 
And James is saying, hey, I know you guys are going through it. I know you're hurting. I know life is difficult. Hey, he's part of it. I understand, but here's what we need to understand. We have a great God and we have a good God. And our God doesn't change. He didn't change. He didn't change just because you accepted him and your family kicked you out. Your boss fired you. And your whole community doesn't want to have anything to do with you. God didn't change and he didn't move. Same God. Same God that was there when you had all of that stuff and you thought you were safe and secure. Same God. And then here's the clincher. Here's the best part. It just gets better and better. Listen, he says he's, in him there's no variation, no shadow of churning. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. How can we face those trials? By being born again. It's that simple. Turning our hearts to God and being born again by his own will. Do you understand that God is the one who changed you? You didn't change yourself. Hey, you can't fix your life by some creed. You can't fix your life by some ritual. The only way you can fix your life is coming to Jesus Christ and being born again. And God, I love this, man. God by his own will. Have you ever thought that God intimately knows you and loves you. And it's according to his will that you're saved. I know some people get uptight about some of this. You need to get unuptight. <laughs> Two times in my life I was chosen. One was for the United States Army. Not a big thrill. You get that letter, you don't go, whoopee. Your country has selected you. Thank you, country. But the other one was by my God. And you know, even thinking about the army, they took, they took care of me when they took me in. My God takes better care of me. Sorry, government. My God takes such good care of me. And he loves me enough to make me grow up to make me put on my big boy pants, to face the things that I don't want to face, to deal with the things I don't want to deal with. And the hurts and the pain, when they come, he's right there with me. Doesn't desert me. Doesn't leave me alone. Oh, I might turn from him, but he never turns from me. And James is trying to get that group of people to understand. And greater than that, he's trying to get us to understand today. Doesn't matter what your trial is. Doesn't matter what you're going through. You know, and hey, I know some of them are real, real deep. And I know some of them are a little bit superficial that we make deep. I, I understand that. But you know what? Trust God. And understand that he loves you. And that thing in your life, no matter how ugly and horrible it is, it's good because it came from him. The devil's gonna try and get you to say it's bad. The devil's gonna try and get you to turn your back on God. The devil's trying to get you to get angry. And I believe every one of us has experienced that. You ever been mad? You ever tell God you don't deserve this? Sure. If you say no, you haven't either experienced a major trial or you're a liar. One of the two things. Because we do. That's our nature. And our nature wells up and then we have to Repent. So maybe this morning when we get, we're going to close here in a minute, we get ready to close. Maybe if you're in that mood right now where you've been mad at God, angry with him, when we stand up to pray, talk to him. 
Here's the cool thing, he already knows, so you might as well tell him. I love that whole idea, you know. I, I personally believe God knows everything. I don't believe he learns anything. I don't believe anything's new to him. I believe he knows everything, and you know what that causes in my heart? If God knows everything, what is there that I can't tell him? He already knows. It's not like I tell God stuff and he goes, seriously, Pat? Like I had no idea. Here's what he says, I know. I was just waiting for you to know. And so let's be real, huh? So if you're struggling with some issue in your life and you've been mad at God, tell him this morning and walk out of here free from that and understanding that we have a good God. Let's stand up and pray.